0: Hola familia, I'm your host Demian Servín Hernández, and it's time for another inspiring edition of SHIP Out Loud, a podcast where we amplify the voices of Hispanics in STEM. Today is our sixth episode in the 50 Stories for 50 Years series. And I'm not exaggerating when I say we've got a SHIP legend in our midst. Her involvement with SHIP and career achievements defy a simple introduction, but I'm going to do my best. Today we are hearing from Diana Gomez, a current board member former board president, past chair of the SHIP Foundation, and a Jaime Oaxaca awardee. Professionally, she has over 25 years transportation design and management, and is the present director of District 6 at Caltrans. She is a licensed professional engineer and project manager. Diana has been honored as one of the 100 most influential Hispanics by Hispanic business and as one of the top 100 Hispanics in the technical field by Hispanic engineer. Her history with SHIP, is nothing short of epic. She became a member in 1982, and throughout her considerable leadership roles at the organization, she's received death threats and awards alike. Some of the decision-making she's been a part of has fundamentally changed the trajectory of SHIP, and I would argue, for the better. She's also quite the storyteller. Her recounting of how she ended up studying electrical engineering will give you goosebumps. Her telling of why a parking space made her realize she made it will definitely make you smile. I really could go on and on about Diana, but I think it's time we hear directly from her. So without further ado, let's listen to Diana Gomez speak out loud.
1: So Diana, you're a bit of a ship legend, really. I heard about you um, before I got to meet you and uh, you have a reputation that precedes you as being an incredible asset to ship. but. Why don't I let you introduce yourself, and why don't you tell us a little bit about you?
2: Okay. So, I'm Diana Gomez, and um, I was born and raised in Fresno County, which is in the center of California, and I lived in a really small town, Parler, no more than 6,000 people, and you know, my whole family's still there, my mom, my sister, my cousins, and then uh, from Parler, I went to Fresno State and got my electrical engineering degree at the recommendation of my high school counselor, Ms. Magdalena Vasquez. And then from there, uh, at Fresno State, got my electrical engineering degree. And then I went to go work for Caltrans, which is the Department of Transportation for the state of California.
1: What inspired you to get involved in the STEM field, especially when obviously it's not a field that a lot of women embark on Mm -hmm. and and take on, especially Hispanic women at that?
2: Yeah. So I was in the seventh grade and there was this lady, her name was Linda Van Kirk. I still remember her name. I was in the seventh grade and she used to work for Pacific Bell, which now we know as AT&T. And, you know, she was like a technician and she brought in this big bundle of wires that, you know, how... We communicate at that time through the telephone, no cell phones. And I was just like in awe. I'm like, oh, that's what I want to do. And um, when I was in high school, I, obviously I was good at math. So my counselor, Miss Vasquez, I explained, <laughs> you know, we're going you know, like through careers, you know, lawyer, you know, doctor. And I said, no, this is what I want to do. So I explained the story to her about Miss uh, about Linda Van Kirk. And she tells me, she goes, sounds like you want to be an electrical engineer because that's what my brother is. Not knowing that I didn't want to be the engineer. I wanted to be the actual technician working on things, you know, because I was really good at that. But I trusted her and I went on and I became the electrical engineer. But it started from that moment, that one moment in time that sparked, you know, the interest. Fast forward, I was at Fresno State. I was the president of SHIP at uh, Fresno State. And we're at a banquet. And I was the president, so they had all the leaders up there. And Pac Bell was one of the sponsors. So sitting right next to me was this lady. And so, of course, she asked me, well, how did you get into engineering? And told her the whole story. (laughs) And she says, she goes, did this lady have long blonde hair? I said, yeah. And uh, then she goes, that was me. Oh, my God. And then she starts crying. I'm like, why are you crying? And she's like, she goes, that day, none of you guys asked me any questions. And then she goes, and I went back to my boss, and I said, don't ever send me back to that school. Not realizing that she had sparked an interest. And you got to understand, we live in a small town of Parlier surrounded by nothing but Agland, wh- what would we have known as kids to ask questions? Like, what questions would we have asked? And so, so she felt so bad that she never went back to the school and not realizing that she had lit fire under some one person. And that's why when I go speak to any class or anybody, and if they don't ask questions, you know, I'm okay with it because I just remember my experience and a lot of times even adults don't know where questions to ask you know so uh so yeah that's that's what happened uh, I got to meet her you know uh, several years afterwards and um, obviously she was excited and I had become an electrical engineer that's amazing that's an
1: incredible story yeah I do feel like sometimes asking questions is a little stigmatized mm-hmm. in our society and you have you know as kids it's sometimes it's beyond them right they're like i don't understand it i don't know what to right. ask and as adults it's like i don't want to look like i don't know what i'm talking about so i'm not <laughs> gonna ask any questions but yeah
2: even though when they started what no question is a stupid question it's like okay, good yeah, right you know <laughs> if you don't know what to ask you're not gonna ask
1: yeah definitely but that's amazing that she inspired you yeah. and then the fact that you were able to connect after so many years
2: yeah and you know Ms. Vasquez, miss He doesn't like me to call her Ms. Vasquez, my high school counselor. We're really good friends. Uh, We see each other a lot because she's a Raider fan too. Perfect. (laughs) So we meet meet up in Vegas and, you know, I gave her a lot of credit for guiding me in the right direction.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. And I do appreciate that she looked beyond what might have been like the first initial career path for you, where it was basically like, oh, I enjoy food and Oh, you could be a waiter or you could be the chef. Right? <laughs> that's right.
2: Yep. And that's what she, uh, and then, uh, my sister's older than me. She was going to Fresno state. She doesn't like I tell this story is that she didn't know how to drive. And then I said, well, I went to Fresno state to drive my sister. <laughs> <laughs> Cause she didn't know how to drive. And I thought, well, since I'm here, I might as well do something. But yeah, that's kind of where My really? sister was going to Fresno state and. It was just easier to go there as well.
1: So I've spoken to some of the other attendees here at NILA today. And a lot of the female students have talked about how they're either one, the only female in in their specific program, or maybe like three or five at the most. So what was it like for you when you were taking those classes?
2: Well, it was a similar experience, but you have to... So I mentioned that I I came from a small town Parlier. And at Parlier, because we were so small, they didn't offer, they didn't offer trigonometry or calculus. They didn't offer physics. So the highest I could take was chemistry and algebra, too. So when I got to Fresno State, I was already a year behind, a year and a half, because I needed to start with trigonometry, you know, English, you know, the lowest possible English. Not because I didn't know English, because that was obviously my first language, but. I started already behind, but then I was, my first couple of years were in the big classes. So, you know, the math class had like 200 people in there, you know, the lower the math, you know, and same thing with English. So it wasn't until later in my, you know, maybe my third year, then you start seeing, you know, just a couple of women in in your classes. And that's the way, that's the way, you know, it was. But here's the sad part, you know, it's still like that even right now in my career. You know, I've been in meetings where I'm the only female and you have, you know, 20 plus male there. So that's the, the sad part that it's still. And I know my boss and his bosses, are really trying to change that and get more women in, in, into, you know, obviously, Caltrans.
1: yeah. Definitely. And I think a lot of people are used to hearing that there's that attempt being made that they want increased representation for women in the workplace, in academics, in STEM fields. And so a lot of times a lot of people can think, oh, the work's done, you know, like it's 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 already taken care of. But no, there's still so much more to be done.
2: Yeah, that's correct. It's 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 a. You know, we've always, you know, I've been in SHIP a long time and I've sat through lots of strat strategy sessions, you know, like, well, what should be our purpose? Well, you know, one year it was like, well, you know, our goal would be that we never need SHIP. And I thought to myself, why? Why would we want that to be a goal? You know, people are always still going to need us. People are always still going to need each other. So why would we want to try to make that our goal to be non-existent anymore? And as much as recruiting there is for Hispanics, as much as recruiting there is for women, you're always going to still need that support and that network and, you know, the ability to find someone just like you, even though, say, it was easy for you to get into college. But Why would I want to walk, you know, this difficult you know, journey by myself. And that's why I think SHIP should, will be here forever. And uh, regardless of even if, you know, at Fresno State, at one point it was more than 50% Hispanics. But that doesn't mean they should stop recruiting. That doesn't mean SHIP shouldn't be there. It's really now, they're there. Now what? what how are we going to help them, you know, navigate through the university and, you know, end up, you know, in a good job.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think even though the support is there, SHIP can create a structure for what that support should look like and unify the resources. So I think, yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of value that SHIP provides beyond the obvious. And so, it and it's definitely grown beyond, you know, a just a simple school club, right? Organization, it's become... Really a family, and I know that the familia thing is a, is we hear it all the time and sometimes it's easy to forget what it really means to everyone, but when you hear uh, these students talking about and expressing themselves in a way that it feels like they definitely wouldn't be where they are without the familia, you know, you can see the importance um, that ship has to them on a very personal level. But getting back to you, uh, I wanted to ask which projects or moments in your career Um, or life as a whole, have you been the most proud of?
2: Well, um, a couple of them. One is, so I I went to go work for the state. And in order to move up, you know, we're designing. You need to get what you call your professional engineer's license. That was one of my greatest accomplishments because it took me seven years to get the thing. And, you know, I'll never forget when I, that day, I opened up the letter and, and you know, I got it. So it was really exciting for me. So that was one of those monumental major milestones in my career. Obviously, career-wise, also when I became, you know, an executive. And it's so interesting because, you know, you're growing up, you're moving up, you're moving up. And you always, for me, I was like, well, okay, I'm going to be an executive one day. I'm going to be, you know, and then. It hit me when I was working in Los Angeles and I was the deputy director of traffic operations. And I go to park my car and there's my parking stall with my name on it. I'm like, oh, wow, I made it. I'm an executive. <laughs> it took me visualizing the parking lot, the parking stall for me to realize like, oh, I'm a, I am an executive. And you don't. Know, I guess you don't realize it And so for me, you know, yes, that 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 time is, you know, becoming, you know, that executive and then, you know, going to work for high speed rail, you know, working on the first uh, high speed train in the nation. You know, I I did that for eight years and, and seeing construction get started. And then, you know, this last thing where I'm at right now, which was always on my bucket list to be the district director, Caltrans district director. For where I started my career. And that's where I'm at right now. So I think those were some of the significant moments, milestones in my career. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've I've heard that it's it's easy to kind of overlook our achievements. I think as human beings, sometimes we tend to focus on the negative aspects of ourselves. And so it's kind of hard sometimes to like look back and see how far we've come. Until something makes us realize it, and it seems like that that part <laughs> lot of placard was that moment for you.
2: Yeah, it was.
1: Um, were there any particular challenges that you faced in your journey, maybe even related to your cultural background?
2: Well, I will tell you, there's two things that I think this is kind of the saddest part. You know, of. like when I was studying to take the PE, I was I was studying with other individuals and men and Hispanic guys. And they were, they were like helping themselves, but pretending to help me. And, and some of, you know, we talk about facing these adversities or people trying to bring you down because they say they're, because you're Hispanic, but it was really also the Hispanic men weren't helping me. And that to me, my own community not helping me, that was really sad for me. And then as I got into the executive world, dealing with other women have been some of the hardest things. It's like, I thought we're supposed to be here helping each other. You know, and I heard some lady say, you know, there's a place in hell for women that don't help other women. (laughs) And I never thought I would experience that. And I experienced that and it was, it's just, it's just sad, you know, very sad that, that that happens. And so those are, you know, some of just the challenges, all the other stuff you could deal with, you know, as long as, you know, you, you know, you, your leaders, what you're capable of, your leadership skills. And I mean, I've dealt with irate people, you know, I've walked into a room of a hundred people that don't like you. And they're going to let you know all that I could easily manage. But it was so disheartening when you have Hispanic men not helping you. And then you have women, powerful women that don't want to help you either. That That's to me, those are the kinds of things that just don't sit well with me. Yeah.
1: And I can understand that because I think it's, it's easy to think, they should know better, right? They've gone through similar struggles that I've gone through. And so to then turn around and repeat that towards someone else instead of being better, that that can definitely hurt and be painful. And I know that that's usually when it hurts the most, right? When it's people that also like we identify with and, and are close to. But it's like, come on, like we're supposed to be helping each other. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, I can definitely understand that. So do you have any advice for ship members
2: who might be going through something like that? Well, I think the one key thing is, you know, um, you know what you're capable of. And you know what you can do, what you can't do. And don't let anybody else tell you what you can't do or what you can't do. And I think you got to know that within yourself. and You got to just stay stay focused and, you know, a lot of people, they love to read, learn. You know, I, 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 that was never my thing. Reading a leadership book, it was more, you know, about, you know, ship gave me those opportunities to be a leader. I learned all my leadership skills from being in ship, and I always tell everybody, this is the best time for you to practice your leadership skills and management skills in ship, because not like they can fire you. You know <laughs> and so i I learned that, and but my my advice to every you know the students is you're gonna face you know highs and lows, but you just gotta stay focused, and the other thing is you gotta surround yourself, you know my biggest cheerleaders are my family, and when I'm having a hard time, you know, I'll just go back and hang out with my cousins, and we lift each other up, you know. We tell each other how good we are and we, that's our strengths and that's always helpful. And so my thing is, you know, find, you know, find those individuals that help you lift you up during those times and that believe in you, but you got to believe in yourself and you know what you're capable of and you just have to, you know, just stay focused.
1: Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we focus a little too much on what people that don't like us think about us. Instead of focusing on the people that do care about us and what they think about us, and so I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. It's like let's focus on the people that we know care about us, are looking for our best interest, and we can kind of refuel a bit when we yeah. when we are with them.
2: I think the other thing too, you know, I've gone through so many leadership classes, and you know, like even in college, like, well, where where do you want to see yourself in ten years? I'm like, why would I want to think that far out? <laughs> Why can't we break this down in smaller chunks? Let's take one year at a time and then two years at a time. Where you get, I don't think nobody should plan out for more than five years, you know, because things happen. I mean, look at COVID, right? Took out whatever, two years out of our lives. And so I think that's the other key thing is just breaking it down in, into smaller, smaller pieces.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's easy to get lost in the long-term goal but sometimes we got to like break those long-term goals down into shorter achievable goals so that we can kind of like make our way there. I agree. What motivates you to keep moving forward even in challenging
2: times? Well, it's the people, you know, the people that needs, need us, our family members. You know, you got it. that's what motivates me and my family and then the, my community, you know, being part of this organization. That's why I've been in it for so long. Because we, I, my grandfather, I used to, I worked in the fields for a long time alongside my grandfather. And I would watch my grandfather, how, you know, all these people worked for him. And he just had so much compassion for people. And, you know, he wanted to make sure they had work. Because these were big families. These weren't just the the dad and, you know, it was the dad, the mom and the kids. We'd all work out there together. And I would just watch him how he, you know, even though we didn't have much, he found a way to share whatever we had, whether it was the tools or, you know, food for a week or whatever. And I would just see that in him. And I to me, that's why I stay in SHIP. It's the compassion for our community, the giving back and you know just wanting helping those that that don't have or even though that that do have you know just being there for them and and that's you know that's um one of the things that why I continue to to be in this organization and just learning that from my grandfather because he every day it was about he led his life by being compassionate to people and that's 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 what I want to continue his legacy.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's beautiful. I think that shows the importance of having good role models in life and why it's so important to have. Uh, I mean, obviously you have your grandfather who, who was that role model for you. Um, but a lot of people might not have that experience, especially if when they, they migrate to the United States and they leave behind a huge part of their family. And so when they meet people in the SHIP organization who can be those role models for them and inspire them to be better, to do, to achieve their best and be the best version of themselves they can be, it's really powerful and I think it's really life changing. So that's another thing that I've, I've noticed people express that the people that have helped them, especially the people that are attending NILA here or SHIP leaders, um, they're able to be that mentor for those people and, and help them really keep on going when times get tough. Uh, So, what is your vision for the future, both personally and professionally?
2: Well, I'm on, you know, kind of the tail end of my career. And I think in, you know, the next two years, you know, I'll retire, but then continue to help out, you know, ship wherever I can. You know, I am on the board, back on the board. And uh, so... Just really want to continue to figure out how to get back to the community. Yeah,
1: definitely. And you have. And I so I have no doubt that you're gonna continue <laughs> to do so. Um, so looking back, is there a message or a legacy that you would like to leave for future generations?
2: Well, I think I just ask that, you know, we we have to continue paying it forward. And, you know, whatever you use you know, from this organization, you know, at least give that back. And so we can continue because this organization has been around next year will be however many, the 50 years. And the only way we've been able to stay relevant is by our members and by those members that continue to keep it growing and giving back. And that's what I ask of, you know, the future generation is, continue to give back and it doesn't take much any little bit help yeah
1: definitely well i want to say that i personally admire all the work that you've done and the fact that you're going to keep going when you really don't have to right like nobody's forcing you to and it's just coming out of the goodness of your heart that's that's incredible and i hope that the work can go on you know because it's it's important work and you're a huge part of it and we really appreciate all the hard work that you've done for SHIP. And I think that if half the people in SHIP follow your example, I think we're in good hands. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, having this interview with us and telling us about your life and your story. It's been really inspiring and hopefully we can do this again sometime.
2: Yeah, sounds good.
1: You were there basically from the very beginning, right? Like very close to it. And so what has been your experience in seeing ship grow? What,
2: that, what has that been like? How has it changed? Well, so I've been a ship member. I guess because uh, I started Fresno State in 1982, so ship itself had just in Fresno the chapter had just been started, and so so I guess I could say I've been in ship about 39 years, and I've had I've held. Every possible leadership position. I was student president. I was a professional chapter president. Then I became a regional vice president, and then I got on the board as the treasurer. And you know, really just setting up. Every time I got into a position, I always wanted to make sure I left it different. So when I was treasurer, we didn't have you know QuickBooks. We didn't have everything was spreadsheets. And so, you know, during that tenure, I tried to automate things. And then I quickly realized, I never wanted to be the president of this organization, but I quickly realized that if I wanted to really drive change, I needed to be the president. Because I didn't, I rather work, I worked better in the back, in the background. And, you know, I didn't want to be, have to go do glamour shots and you <laughs> do all of that and start dressing up and then always having to smile you're not the president i didn't want that i didn't want that but then i realized one year i'm like well if i really want to drive change i need to be the president i became the president in 2003 and i i've been the longest serving president six years as elected and during that time is when we uh, grew SHIP. I think that's when SHIP grew the most. And not because not I'm saying because I was the president, but we made some significant changes. It's, ma- it's very hard to change an organization of volunteers. And first thing was our, we had a foundation. So there was SHIP Inc. and then SHIP Foundation. And SHIP Foundation had its board members for a long, long time, but they weren't doing anything. Then they started to raise money for another organization. So my first task to so imagine I'm a young professional and I'm going to try to convince these older Hispanic men that they need to step aside or dissolve. And so I utilized another older SHIP member. The name was Jaime and he helped me you know, convince those, you know, that they needed to dissolve the SHIP Foundation. And so they did. So that was one of the first major things that we did. And then we created another foundation. And then that foundation was raising lots more money for scholarships. Then the next big thing was uh, we created the Lifetime Membership and that that was so cool to, you know, start having Lifetime Members And then we used to have our conference, our national conference in the winter. And companies would have told me, you realize that when you have your conference in the winter, we don't have any jobs to offer your students anymore because we make all our offers in the fall. So we had to move the conference, our national conference from the winter to the fall. And that was one of the most controversial decisions really, that we made. I mean, I got death threats, members, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the conference was in Orlando. And we were announcing we're moving the conference to the fall. And there was this outrage, you know, because again, change in ship is hard. But we, you know, we had a small group of students and professionals, and we had some naysayers in the committee. And collectively we made that change and after we made that change you know ship just took a leap in terms of members in terms of supporters in terms of how much money we were raising and so I had figured in four years a cycle of kids will graduate nobody will ever know that the conference used to be in the winter yeah and even today you ask any member do you remember the conference in the in the winter most of them are gonna say no and that was you know a big change we made but it was very hard to make that change because it was the most controversial issue and people just didn't like it but you know again as leaders we need to make those kinds of bold decisions then the next decision that we made was I was the president of the organization. I was also the CEO. I'm a volunteer. Our organization was growing. We went from 23 IPCs to almost like 40. We we went from a budget of 250,000 to almost close to a million. We sold out one entire conference uh, in Fresno and So the next big thing was taking the way, the power away from a volunteer, which was the CEO. So we went through this effort with uh, some executives, you know, Miguel Limani, Adalio Sanchez and another, a couple other ones, one from Intel. And I had these guys, these powerful, you know, executives within their own companies help advise the organization on what ship structure should look like and so we came up with the ceo concept so we stripped the president of the power and shifted it the day-to-day operations to the ceo and that was another controversial change because now i'm in a sense taking the board from being an operations board to more of a governance board and they didn't like that you know again it's hard to I have all this control and power and I want to give it away. Who wants to do that? And so that was another very difficult decision that we endured. And then, but again, another major difficult change that set up the organization to continue to grow. And so so I've been part of those major decisions, difficult decisions. But in the end, now I I look back as tough as, as tough as it was, it was the right thing to do and I went to after we moved it to the fall, you know there's this student that approaches me and she says, "I have six job offers, you know what do I do wow. And I looked at her like, "I think you should be talking to your parents, not me, but you know, but it just like it just that moment, everything i we went through, but then and that moment, you know for me then to just realize we made the right decision. And so those are, you know, those are some of the more challenging things I had to endure in SHIP.
1: Yeah. One thing I appreciate is that all the decisions that you have made have been in the interest of SHIP and its members. And it really seems that when you have somebody like yourself that has SHIP's best interests in mind, you're willing to steer No pun intended, you're willing to steer the ship in the right direction, even if not everybody's on board with the decisions, because you know that it's the right thing. And the fact that you did have support, right, from other people within ship to make those changes. But now that time has gone by and you can kind of see the consequences, positive consequences, effects of your decisions that you've made. Um, You can look back and like you said, I made the right decisions, right? So that's, that's incredible. And what do you think future ship leaders can
2: take away from your time as president? Well, I think you need to come in this as it's it's really about the community and about the members. And, you know, you need to be that servant leader. And it's not about me. It's not about you know, any individual person. It's about the people that we serve. And, you know, I, I, I still have probably like 20 years worth of strategic plans and, you know, just I would see the same issues over and over. Just we re- reworded different in a different color of PowerPoint. And, you know, and it's just because sometimes we're we have some leaders that they're really it's not they're not really in it here for the members are in it here for themselves. And there is no doubt that SHIP has influenced my life. You know, I am the leader today because of this organization. I mean, I went through so much, we would put ourselves through so much leadership training and how to communicate, crucial conversations, you know, dynamic discussions. We would put ourselves through all those things just so we could, because it's, our members are passionate. And when you're driven by passion, sometimes it's hard to communicate or hard to let go of what needs to happen or, or need, you know, it's hard to make those changes and And so, I think it's just you know we have to just continue moving this forward, so whoever serves in whatever capacity you need to it needs to be about the members and about the future and it needs to be about this country. You know when I was a president, I had the IBM executive that I'll never forget this day either. He tells me, "You know, Diana, your community." Is either going to save this country or sink it. And I'm like, what? You know, for that to be put on my shoulders, I just looked at him and I said, well, you know what, Nick? His name was Nick D'Anofrio. I said, well, we're going to do everything we can to save this country. Because in the end, what he was saying is we, our community needed to grow engineers. Our community needed to be those kinds of leaders in order to fill those gaps that you know everybody else wasn't filling and so that's why to me this organization i'll never forget that conversation that i had with him because so we need to understand that our success leads to a better country and i don't think a lot of people understand that that you know when we go out there we get educated we become successful We're growing companies. We're becoming executives. We're running for office. We're making a difference. And we're making this country better. And so I'll never forget that conversation. And that's why I want everybody to understand why it's so important that this organization continues to thrive so this country can continue to thrive. We're part of its success.
1: Yes, definitely. I think, especially from our community where I think... um, Humility is very ingrained, I think, in Hispanic culture. And sometimes it can go a little bit too far where you have people who don't give themselves the credit that they deserve. And so it's hard for them to sometimes see the impact that they have uh, on this nation. And the fact that the work that they do is so vital and important and is moving technology and even humanity as a whole forward. Because a lot of the work that they do is literally things that are going to save lives, change the way we communicate, change society as a whole. And so I think that you hit the nail on the head when we combine all that together. SHIP as an organization is literally um, a driving force for this country because we are at times representing Hispanic engineers. So I I agree wholeheartedly with you. We were chatting earlier during the NILA dinner and you Mm -hmm. talked a little bit about how the relationship has changed between SHIP and its IPCs.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so, you know, back then, when we created the IPCs, we were 23 IPCs, and they were funding a big chunk of the organization, our scholarships, our our grants for our chapters, funding the conference, helping it grow. And so they were a very powerful entity within our, you know, organization, and we needed them, and we knew that. And they knew that, too, that we needed them. And so... They were part of, I don't want to be disrespectful, you know, to the IPCs, but they wanted to drive the organization the way they felt it needed to go. But you have to understand they have have their companies that they have to answer to. And so we needed over time as we continue to grow and we continue to be stronger and we continue to make, you know, the, the conference decision came from them. And then as we were making these changes, getting ourselves stronger, getting our governance in place, getting, you know, strategic plans in place, then they started to kind of thrust us and become more partners versus telling us, you know, kind of where we needed to go. And so now the way I see it, we have, you know, we're very powerful I don't know how many employees we have compared to back then. You know, when I was on the board, we were only had like four employees. And, you know, fast forward, you know, now we have a CEO, well, you know, acting C, interim CEO. We have all of the staff. We have these programs. So now they look at us as, in a sense, almost like they don't, they maybe they realize they don't need to be telling us what to do. We know what we need to do and they're going to benefit, you know, from what we're doing. So I now see it more as a partnership versus, you know, just them giving us money. So it looks like it's become a true partnership council. That's in a sense, yes, a true partnership council and really, you know, working together collectively for the better good, you know, the greater good which is keeping this organization moving and growing and, you know, giving back to our community.
1: Yeah, so it seems to me that as long as SHIP is putting its members' interests first, everybody benefits. The organization, the IPCs, the people who will someday hire all of our members, right? So it it really comes back to that, having the members' best interests at heart. So it seems like you've done that. (laughs) So that's great. Speaking about programs, you're right. We have a lot of programs now. How has the resources that SHIP offers its members changed from when you were president or involved with SHIP to now?
2: Yeah. So back then, you know, we offered, in a sense, maybe three programs. Um, We had the scholarships. We had local grants for chapters. They would be able to compete for that. And then we would have, you know, the leadership conferences, conferences. And we would, you know, NILA, love course. But now, you know, we have a lot more programs. And, you know, I, I can't even start to rattle them up. There's a lot. You know, yeah. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot of them. And, you know, so we went from, say, just three core programs. Then we added Noche de Ciencias. Then we added, you know, something else and something else. And now we have, you know, a slew of programs. And that's great, you know, for the members. And I just hope that the members take advantage of that and research them and, you know, and that we do a really good job of marketing them. So everyone is, you know, taking advantage of them. So we went from very, and that was always our goal. I had told um, Miguel Limani one time, do you know what my goal would always be is that we, you know, we used to offer $500 scholarships, <laughs> $200 scholarships, you know, at some point the students are like, it's not even worth Applying <laughs> for that. Right. So then it's like, okay, we got to make these thousand dollar scholarship two thousand dollar scholarships, five thousand, ten thousand dollars. But then I always said, when will we be able to offer a full ride scholarship? And I believe we did that a couple of years ago. And that was always my goal. You know, one of my thoughts of like, I wish, you know, Ship could have, you know, at least 10 full ride scholarships. You know, even though we had like the Navy and they would come in and give the big check and these kids would, you know, have the full ride to a university, but it was the Navy's. It wasn't necessarily ship doing it. Right. I mean, we were partnering with the Navy. So yeah, now we have obviously a a lot more programs.
1: Yeah, definitely. I do appreciate the progression that ship has had. But another thing from hearing you talk is that you keep moving the bar And I love that because it's easy once we reach a goal to kind of like rest on our laurels, as it were. But the fact that you keep wanting to give the members more, I think speaks volumes about where you place importance in what the organization can offer. Um, That you want to do more for the members, and that's great. So what would you say to a student who might be considering SHIP and is on the fence?
2: Well, I would say, you know, give it a try. It doesn't cost you anything, what, $5 or whatever, you know, a cup of coffee, yeah, one Starbucks, Yeah. you know, one Dutch Bros. (laughs) (laughs) Give it a chance. What do you have to lose? You know, it may surprise you, you know, one semester, you know, one year, give it a chance. And how about, what would you say to a
1: SHIP member who has never been to a national convention and is thinking about going?
2: I would say, you know, you need to go and experience, you know, one convention. And it's just, it's uh, incredible, the energy, you know, what you you leave there so motivated. You know, every time I would go to a conference and I would hear someone speak, you know, or even a, I would always see myself in that person. Like, that's going to be me one day. I'm going to be up on that podium. And it just, it just motivates you. And it also provides opportunities and networking, but it gives you these ideas, these possibilities. You leave there with like all these possibilities, you know, walking around and going to the workshops and, you know, hearing what other engineers do. And, you know, that's why I love the Star Awards program. You know, when you come and you listen to those award winners, what they've endured, what they do, it just even motivates me. And I'm like, you know, again, on the tail end of my career and it's just so motivating. And and that's what, you know, it's like if you need, you know, that shot of motivation, that shot of hope, uh, you should go to the conference.
1: Yeah, definitely. I've yet to experience my first conference, but the way that people express themselves about it, I'm like, I cannot wait to be there. Is there anything else that you think that SHIP members or anybody else uh, should know about SHIP?
2: Well, I think we're, you know, it's very clear we're here to serve, you know, our community. And, you know, I I know that we have lots of students, not that many professionals. And I I just want to ask the professionals and, you know, like after I had that conversation, like I told you with Nick from IBM, you know, I started to tell the professionals, you know, just by you being a member, I don't need you to go sell cupcakes. I don't need you to go wash cars. I just need you to be a member. You know why? Because when I can go into Washington, D.C., we can go into Washington, D.C. We can go into, you know, any company and say that we have, you know, 40,000 members. That's already helping us. That's already making a difference. And that's all I ask is, you know, once the students graduate, Become a professional, you know, use your first check to become a lifetime member. Just that alone, you being a member, again, we don't need you to do anything more other than just become that member because we. that's how we leverage. That's how we, that opens doors uh, into all these possibilities, whether it's foundations, companies, the government. Uh, so I, that's all I ask of, of you know, Students, once you graduate, please, please, please become a professional member.
1: That's great. Yeah, once again, it's been uh, really an honor to be able to speak with you today and getting to know your story, getting to know more about the history of SHIP, um, understanding what really is important to the organization and the fact that um, SHIP is always going to look out for its members and try to provide for them as best we can. So thank you so much for making the time to speak with us. And hopefully this is just the first of many conversations that Sounds we have. Good. yeah. <laughs> because
0: uh, because I, would, I could pick your brain for hours.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Well, thank you.
0: Diana, it was an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. Your contribution to SHIP cannot be overstated. Your legacy has shined during these last 50 years and will certainly endure through the next 50 years, at least. On behalf of the SHIP members, past, present and future, we thank you so very much. Familia, that will wrap up our 6th episode of our 50 Stories for 50 Year series. But as always, if you ever miss one episode, we're archiving them all on the website at ship.org forward slash 50stories. Check out the description for a link. Also, if you're looking to meet up with some of these featured leaders in person, definitely consider joining us at one of the 2024 Regional Leadership Development Conferences, or as we like to call them, RLDCs. These regional events meet our members where they're at, literally. We bring national knowledge and expertise to accessible local conferences. This year, we're going to be in California, Indiana, Texas, and Florida. Learn more at ship.org forward slash engage and register today. You can learn more about SHIP on our website at www.ship.org or on our social media platforms listed below. To become a member today, click here and use code POD22 for 10% off. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen so you get your weekly ship stories throughout the year, as well as the ship YouTube channel, where some select interviews will be posted for you to watch the interview. And remember, you belong here and at every level of the STEM industry. Cuidate, familia.